Cool. Thank you so much. Um, thank you very much for having me up here. Um, my name is Stephen Ford. If you haven't heard that, that's not good, so I'll just keep on talking. I'll let them figure it out in the back. Um, I just let you know, I was talking to Pat earlier in this week, and he said how much he wanted to be up here next, so um, if, <laughs> give him a round of applause, yeah. So, you know, just to have him come up here would be a dream of mine. Um, uh, my, again, my name is Steven. I uh, was born in Bort, if you didn't know already a little bit about me. I was born in Bort. My dad was the pastor of the uh, Bort Barham Church, um, and so I grew up in Australia and went back to the States, lost my accent, unfortunately, and then um, was able to come back here and teach at the Christian school for two years. Uh, I still remember the um, call Jenny gave me with Graham Coleman um, asking me to come, and I thought it was going to be an interview rather than how fast can you get here, so (laughs) that was very nice to uh, be able to come here and teach. And then I went back to the States uh, taught for a couple years, then found my lovely wife and brought her back. So here we are today. Um, a little bit about me to another degree, and it ties into what we're talking about today. Uh, recently, I've been um, prognosis, diagnosis with sleep apnea. And so when I sleep, I, I not only do I snore very loudly uh, to Kirsty's displeasure, um, but I also stopped breathing, which is kind of unfortunate. So I've gone through this uh, four-week um, trial of different machines, different masks, and whatnot. And the first night, I was so excited to get the machine and putting all the pieces together, turning it on, getting beeped at. And then um, going from there, um, put the mask on, make sure all the gadgets are strapped on per, like on the right way. And then um, after all of that, lay down, calm down, go to sleep. It was great. Woke up. I was like, oh, you know, that's, that's good. Like, I feel pretty good. And I look over to the machine, and I forgot to turn it on. <laughs> so um, with the armor of God, um, make sure we're putting it on each day rather than forgetting to wear it. Um, so... Uh, like today, I hope to have like an overview of Ephesians, so we can kind of get an idea of who's talking to whom, and getting an idea of just the the context of the region. Um, Paul talks about a Roman soldier, and I know we have Nathaniel here who teaches at the school history or humanities, and so if I mess up, he can definitely correct me. Um, but also, kind of idea of Paul's analogy. Uh, to the church in Ephesus um, to focus on the different parts of the armor and and what kind of Paul was getting at. And and hopefully at the end we can take this into our hearts and minds and apply it for a day, a week, a month, or the rest of our life. All right. Um, What the video goes over is an overview of Ephesians. Um, It's Paul is the author. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. Um, the major point that I kind of wanted us to take away from that is the church was not just um, Gentiles or non-believers or Jews. It was a mixture of both. And so whenever you get two different types of people in one room, they're going to argue, and they're going to have a little bit of um, disunity. And so he speaks to that, and then along that he tries to equip the church with uh, the armor of God and, and how to use it. 
So a Roman soldier was probably one of the most fearsome people that you could have come across in that time period. Uh, They were known for their fierce regiment of working out their 25 years of service. Um, At the end of that service, they maybe get a plot of land, which they would call their own. Uh, Their sign-up, so signing their name on the Roman docket saying that they would be a soldier, they would get three gold coins, and there was a special name for that that registration, but each Roman soldier would keep those three coins or spend them the next day. Um, They were expected to march uh, in line with all their gear, 30 to 36 Ks, and I have a map after this, kind of show you how much that is. So that's, that's a lot. Now, that's not in your, your thongs, in your shorts, in a T-shirt. That's uh, carrying about 20 to 40 kilos of weight on your back or on your person. So their gear alone, their, their helmet, their sword, their shield would weigh about 20 kilos. And unfortunately, all the little um, kids ran out. So that's a small child, maybe a Darcy size. Um, so, you know, imagine throwing Darcy on your back and then kind of marching down the road for about two to three hours. After that, they would be expected to set up their camp um, to get ready for the, the ensuing battle or the protection that they needed to do. Um, so there's my lovely wife's uh, taking this march today, so that'd be basically going the long way to Barum with 40 pounds on your back. In heat, could be, if they were marching close to the Mediterranean, it could get up to 30, 40 degrees easily. Or if you're hunting uh, Hannibal through the mountains, uh, it could go very easily into the negatives um, in very slippery and rough terrain. So these soldiers were well-versed in a lot of different places, a lot of different environments, um, and they were no joke. Um, these soldiers also, they were handpicked from the region, so it didn't matter if you were Rome or conquered by Rome. They would pull you from every part, from Italy to Spain to France. Um, I don't know if they pulled any Gaul soldiers, but they pulled from anywhere, and this ragtag group became a unit, and they were expected to go anywhere together into any situation. Um, so going over their gear specifically, they had these sandals that they wore on their feet, and if you can see in the upper right corner, they had little pegs drilled into these sandals, and so that would help grip the ground as they walked. Also, if they weren't, you weren't being particularly nice to them, it also, if you got kicked in the shin, that was a very good reminder to you not to mess with the Roman army. Um, they were also open-toed, so that... Uh, on your 30K march, your feet, if they did get sweaty, uh, they'd be reduced blistering and um, different foot diseases because your foot would be breathing. Um, this is the belt a Roman soldier would most likely wear. Um, the belt, you would pull up your tunic, so your tunic would actually go longer down to your, your legs, and you would pull up your tunic and you would girdle it. So you'd kind of tuck it into your belt. 
And so these belts didn't offer a whole lot of protection. They were mostly an accessory. They'd jingle and they'd jangle and they'd look nice, um, but they didn't actually do a whole lot of protection because you couldn't really block anything with that. Uh, if you look around it, they did kind of embellish it, so they added different designs to it to make themselves look cooler. Um, they also would tuck things into their tunic so that they um, would be able to store their money or whatever they would have. Um, when I was listening to um, a historian or just a guy on YouTube, I don't know, he didn't give his credentials, um, but what he would say is that you would hear up to 5,000 people all walking in step on these Roman roads. And it was a sight to behold. It would give you, if you were from Rome, it'd give you a sense of honor and pride. And if you were on the receiving end, it would give you a pretty big sense of fear because they would, the, the studs would run into the ground and the belts would clamor and run into you know, each other. And it would be a really awesome sound as they were walking in. Um, a good Roman would have a gladius. Um, this was a slashing and stabbing sword. Um, and they, would, they were pretty robust, and they would last them probably their entire service. So they, unless they broke it or lost it, they would keep it for their entire you know, serve, their service. Um, their helmet, their helmet was a bit interesting. Uh, like I think of uh, helmets that go all the way around the ears. But their helmets were a little bit interesting. You actually had your ears stick out, so you could have a little bit of awareness. Um, and they would obviously protect themselves. Uh, this also was pretty expensive to make, so this would last a Roman soldier a while. And there was, um, you would see old helmets, and they would phase into the newer type of helmet on the bottom. Um, I thought it was interesting, too, when I was listening in, those helmets could be folded down and carried on their chest. So they were always keeping their helmets with them at all times, not in their bag or something like that. Uh, There was different types of chain mail. Um, So you have your scaled on your right. Uh, Scaled offered uh, a little bit more protection. In some ways, it was a little bit heavier and a little bit harder to maintain. You had your segmented armor, which would be just like little plates of metal. Those were easy to repair and very light, but they were also the easiest one to um, cause damage or injury. And then last, the newest one, kind of think of your uh, scale knight wearing that huge thing of linked armor. that was the newest addition to their protection. Um, and another reason why Rome did so well is they protected their soldiers very well. Um, another part of your um, equipment is your shield. And you would have different overlaying pieces of wood um, kind of glued onto each other with a metal kind of punch, metal piece on the end. And what I thought was really interesting about this is when a Roman soldier would use this not only as defense, but it also would use it for offense. So as you were sitting there, you could give the person on the other side a good push or a punch with that shield. And another interesting thing that I found out and when I was doing my research is the uh, Roman soldiers would get in this formation called the tortoise or turtle. 
And so they would link up by the person beside them. And so you were not only protecting the person beside you, but you were protecting the whole group. And so you would march together, and you would have people behind you putting their shield over yours. Um, In our um, example, this was meant to be your faith. So I liked how Paul used faith not only as a, you have your own to stand, but you also used your faith to protect those around you. All right, before I get in, let me get to Ephesians. If you have your Bibles with you today, will you open up to Ephesians 6, verse 10? Ephesians 6, verse 10, so you can see where I mess up. (laughs) Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of darkness, dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heaven realms, heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet firmly fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up your shield of faith, and with that, with you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Um, So with that, everything I went through, Paul attaches a meaning to these objects that anybody in the Roman world would know. Um, First is the belt of truth. And what I like about the belt of truth is, I don't know if you've ever wore pants that were a little bit too big, uh, I have, and you, you always feel vulnerable. You always feel like uh, something could happen at any moment, um, and, and unfortunately it usually does. Um, but with the belt of truth, there is no security. It's pivotal to all the other pieces. That's what you're putting your blessed breastplate on. That's what you're attaching your sword to. Your, 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 your truth is so needed to all the other pieces um, where we, we get this truth, and when I was coming up with this message, I was really struggling because it's like, where do you pull your information on the internet? Where do you pull your information from people? Where are you finding your truth? So first, I was looking at the Bible. <laughs> where is it in the Bible? Where, where can I get this information? But then when I was testing it, well, Holy Spirit, please help me. But when I was looking on the online, it's like, is this truth? Does this person hold a high regard to truth? Um, truth, if you don't have it, you are already lost. Truth is your north-pointing compass. It's your direction. Um, without truth, you have no direction and no purpose. Um, also about truth 
is that it is a polar item. You can't have partial truth. You can't have, uh, that's about 85% true. Uh, no, it is or it is not. It can or cannot be. There is no try if you want to pull from Yoda a little bit. Um, but truth has to be true. You cannot have a little bit of false in it. Then it's just something else. Um, and then you see that last point, deceit is defeat. So if you don't have your truth, if you don't know what is true, then you are already defeated. You don't know where you are. Um, so I liked that image of your belt holding it all together and just is the crux or pivotal piece in the um, whole armor set. Breastplate of righteousness. So it is your righteousness. It's your right living. It's all comes from the source is God. Um, but practically, it's divine righteousness. Your definition of right and good could be different than my right or good. Um, it, it is such an important piece to have on us as a, not only to protect ourselves, but also if we have these different variations of right and wrong, then that how, that's how we get our disunity. But if we are drawing from the right source, from God, then our right and wrong is all the same. And then we can be that unit that God wants from us. I see that as like a, how do you live your daily life in the right? Now, I'm speaking to a church about this, but I look at myself on this. How do I live a a life that is honoring to God every day that is right? How am I living above reproach? How am I making choices that are that's honoring to God and is right in His eyes and not right in the world's eyes? Is righteous living and righteous relationships? It's correct relationships, not righteous relationships, and that's coming to this idea that we are living in a way that we seek the correct path. It's a zealous life. It's a a life that is patented every day. It's not this, I'll be right Monday to Thursday, but the weekends, um, I'll do what I want. Now, it's, it's a 24-7 call. The shield of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Going back to what I was saying earlier, faith is one of those things where it's not only a single stand. If you look in Ephesians, Paul tells the church to stand, to stand their ground. He didn't tell them to attack, which is kind of interesting, and I don't really understand why, because usually Romans were attacking all the time. But he tells them to stand. We're standing beside our fellow soldiers. We're just standing beside our fellow brothers and sisters. But also, it is how we demonstrate to God our love, how much faith we have in him. It's how we go out and we pursue choices in life that may may make no sense to go down to Melbourne on God's nudging and planning to take a job, to lose a job, to um, speak in faith to somebody who doesn't believe or to, um, to stand out beyond what we would do normally. And I love how the, sh- the, the shield protects you and it and it helps give you this, this sense of security. Um, 
Another point, reading through my dad's sermon, if you're going to steal, steal from a good source. Um, but when I, when I was looking over my dad's sermons, he talked about this idea of our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. So often when, when yourself or a group of people, we, we want to say, oh, you're the enemy and you don't agree with me, you're the enemy. But our enemy is, is beyond that. It's, it's Satan and his schemes. And so we are called to actually love our enemy. How can we love somebody that we're fighting against? We have to see beyond that. We have to see beyond this, this normal physical world and see that there is a spiritual world that we are reaching out to those who are unloved. We are reaching out to those who spit in our face and mock us behind our back. And we do that with faith. And as we do that, we're going to get some flack. It's not when you get um, torn apart. It's, it's when it's going to happen. And, and so that shield, that faith in a, a God that goes beyond you is, is there to protect you. Um, I'm not, sorry, I was just looking. I don't think it's, yeah, thank you. Um, it's a connection between the shields and faith, um, and we do not sit alone on our battlefield. And I think that is so pivotal for us to know, is that when we have hard times, it's so often and so easy to say, well, I'm all, all by myself. I'm out in the battlefield sitting by myself, and no one is there. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to isolate you, put you by yourself, and say that you're all alone, and it's, you're going to be so easy to push over. What he doesn't want us to know that as a church body, we stand together with our faiths interlocked beside each other, standing firm on the faith that the Lord is there, that he is good and he has done good work for us to save us. Next one. Salvation. Um, I like that image of salvation on your chest. Like I know it's a helmet that you wear on your head, but you take it everywhere. It's, it's knowing that God has done what God said he would do. It's knowing that at the end of this journey, at the end of the pilgrim's progress, that there is the Lord waiting with open arms. And so that helmet protects us, and it gives us that security of, uh, from sin, that, that our life is not just here and gone, and, and that is all. Um, it gives us a life worth living, a belief that God is God and his power to save us. And that, again, that equipping, all these pieces come together from God. It's nothing that I can manufacture. I can't say, oh, you'll be okay. Just go out there and we'll be there. No, but if the Lord who created heaven and earth, the very atoms that hold us together, says, go out there and I am behind you. That salvation, that, the security from the nothingness otherwise is monumental. That helps you stand. Um, we are immoral, immortal, immoral. We are immoral, immortal, sorry. <laughs> Two very big differences in words. Until our work is done on earth, George Whitfield. Now, it looks like Whitefield, but I was corrected. It is Whitfield. Um, the idea that the Lord has you in a place for a reason, and he will protect you until he's done with that reason. So if your mission field is Kerrang, then you will not be moved. Nowhere by any hand of man, you will stand firm because the Lord is with you. The, 
again, the God, the creator of heavens and earth, has put you in that position for a reason, in that group or in that friendship place or in that place that needs light. And that place where you are positioned, you are called to stand. You are called to be there. You are called to communicate the love of God. The sword of the Spirit. We're almost there. It gets really short near the end. Um, That is the Bible. That is our measuring stick. That is what we correct ourselves with and what we correct others with. It is our source of, of truth. That is how we defend ourselves. And so... If we don't get into the Bible, then how can we defend ourselves? I, I don't think it is like Pinocchio, but you know, if you do read the Bible, does your sword become stronger? Does it protect you better? Or if you don't read it all, do you come with a little pocket knife to the battle? <laughs> like it, it, it is something that is meaning to be an extra extension of you. If you were, were thinking of a soldier, a soldier would know his sword. He'd know the distance of his sword. He would even know the weight of his so, sword. He would pick up his friends. Oh, no, that's yours. That's too heavy. No, that's too light. They would know the, uh, the weight of their sword. Do we know the weight of our Bible? Do we know it so well that it doesn't feel right without it? Do we go somewhere and say, ah, oh, got something. Oh, I forgot my Bible. I feel I forget my keys all the time. I forget my watch. Uh, my, my wife would probably forget, I would forget my head if it wasn't screwed on. But, you know, like, do we, do we need our Bible so much that we would be lost without it? Um, it is the only weapon that is specifically for offense, specifically for going out and attacking And so if we don't have the Bible behind us, can we really put up a good fight? And we should have it ready in our our hands. We shouldn't have it uh, on the floor of your car for a week, which I have. We shouldn't not know where it is. We should have it open and ready to be used. Um, The Sandals of Gospel. Uh, It is not a 12 steps and you'll be right. It's the good news that Christ has died for you. Are you ready to take those sandals and bring them into the places that Lord has for you? And so with the gospel, is it like the breath that it's meant to be? Um, And do we know it inside and out, upside and down, so that in any situation, in any challenging issue, can we rely on the Holy Spirit to speak through us to the lost and the broken world that it's meant for? All right, the naked soldier, which he's not doing a nudie run, but the soldier that has nothing, the soldier that is on the battlefield with no shield, no sword, no shoes, no belt, no nothing, just out there. What, what would that sh- soldier do other than run? Um, without truth, we're already lost. Might as well start making a white flag. If you don't know what's true, what are we standing for? If we don't really believe that this came from God, do we believe in anything? So how important is our truth to us, and how, how important do we believe in God's word? Righteousness. Without righteousness, there is no credibility. Well, he's a dirtbag on the weekend, 
but he's an all right guy throughout the week. So righteousness is so important in our faith because it gives us that credibility that we are coming from a, we're, we're, we're supposed to reflect the glory of the Lord. And without that righteousness, without that right living every day, then our, our story of why we are saved doesn't really become a story. It becomes a little antidote and not worth mentioning almost. No faith. Well, if you have no faith, you will not stand. If you have no faith, if you have no shield and you have an army running at you, you almost feel naked without it. So you will not go into places where it is difficult. And you will not trust where you need it. It's almost just a head knowledge. It's a, without faith, I know a lot of good stories that come from the Bible, but I don't think they're right. I don't believe in them. So without faith, there is no relationship. Without gospel, there is nothing. There is no source of faith or salvation. Without a knowledge that God did what he did, then there's no reason for us to believe any of it. So salvation is so important. No, no helmet, no shoes, no shield, no breastplate, no belt. And no sword. We are defenseless. We are able to stand there and maybe stop some blocks, but we can't do anything else. We can't attack. We cannot go and, and really effectively defeat the evil one. So my application at the end, the reason why I've hopefully not bored you but inspired you and made you think is, do we put on our armor every day? Do we think about God's love every day? Do we read the Bible every day? Do we have a faith that defies mountains? Do we have a right living Does God look upon our life and says, well done. And so my challenge for you today is find the piece of armor that you've forgotten in the closet that has a little bit of rust on it, that maybe needs a little bit of maintenance, and find another good soldier, because we are not alone, and have that good soldier work with you and train you so that when the time is to stand in the place that you are meant to stand, that you will stand. And you will be the soldier, the nurse, the lawyer, the teacher, the hand, the mouth, the eye that the Lord has meant you to be so that you can fulfill the, the role that you were meant to be, that you were made for. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you very much for your um, eyes on me rather than eyes closed and reading the back of your eyes. But thank you very much, and I, I, I really do encourage you through this week to look at yourself, have a critical look, and really improve upon ourselves because God has, has died for us, and he knows the best plan for us. Thank you very much for your time.